sexy nerds of the Nerd Imperium. Welcome to this week's episode of the Currently Nerdy Podcast. We are your inner conclave of nerdum. My name is Diz, and I am your pop culture and sports nerd, Ellie. I am Ali, your classic nerd. And I'm VM, your comic book nerd. Guys, yep. mm-hmm. listen, I feel like we haven't actually spoken to our loyal listeners for a while, mm-hmm. right? But we have uh, we have plenty of content for them this week, you know, mm-hmm. to make up for it. Yeah. You know, just so you guys know that we, uh, you know, we didn't forget about you. We just had some technical issues, but it's all taken care of now. Uh, Diz went and got his degree in computer science and mm-hmm. figured it all figured it all out. Yes, he yes. had um, a prostate exam in the. <laughs> no, not yet. I have to. It's not a prostate exam. It's a colon. It's basically the same thing, right? Like they shove a tube up your ass. Yeah, mm. you know how like so. As you'll be listening no, no, before, to this. before you continue this conversation about your prostate, that was not an invitation to talk about your no. bowels. I was just clarifying. Let's let poor V continue what he was about I to just, say. I wanted to bring up the 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 Cato reference, man, because it's it's three weeks in a row now that we could talk about Calvin Cato. You asshole. Wait, Wait Cato Kalin? Cato Kalin. Prostate exam. No, remember he said he was famous for getting a colonoscopy oh, on Big Brother. Right. That's right. And oh I'm yeah. I'm going to be famous for getting a colonoscopy on Currently Nerdy. I live. So, you know, it. that's I'm not okay with that because that's in solidarity with Kato Kalin. That's not that's not poo pooing him in any we, way. We as we're supposed to be making his life harder. Yeah, oh, okay. I know. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to stand with Kato Kalin. That makes no <laughs> sense. I want to get more views than Kato Kalin doing a colonoscopy. So then that way he's not known what? for his. Colonoscopy. Can you say his name again? Why do you keep mispronounce? You've mispronounced his name. What I call him four times that you've said it. Now. <laughs> yeah, you call you, you hit him Kato Calvin or one point. Like he's a fucking clothing brand. Like Kalo. Why are you saying Kalo? What did I say? I don't it's, remember. It's Kato. There's a T Kato. there. Oh. You what said I say? Kalo. I said Kato. Like you you combined him with like a Star Wars character. It's yeah, Kato Kalen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That I tube wanna... up your butt scrambled your brains. It hasn't happened yet. Oh. I'm going to live stream it so I get more views <laughs> than I thought of it. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, um, I'm going to move on from this subject. If that's okay with you guys. Uh, I don't really want to talk about that anymore. But like I was just uh, – I want to give a big shout out to uh, – Denver, Colorado, for quite possibly being the whitest city I've ever been to in my life. That's the first um, time Denver, Colorado has ever gotten a shout out on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm not saying it's I'm not mad at it. Right. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just didn't realize how white it actually was. Um, <laughs> you know, the, I was there for the past two weekends. Right. One for my cousin's bachelor party and one for a friend's wedding. So, you know, it was there for two different events. Um, and, you know, imagine imagine 15 uh, young Vietnamese guys at a bachelor party hanging out and like w- the, the whitest city I've ever been to. It was such a weird experience for me. I actually saw a girl. We were at this club and this girl uh, was actually double fisting white claws. And <laughs> she okay, actually like she did the claw is because I know uh, it's, so, a, it's a white joke, but I don't know. Okay, what it means exactly. You know how like, OK, you know how like La Croix is that like it's that soda water yeah. that it's it sounds like a, a fruit is being yelled at by the other room. Yeah. Like, you know, it has that weird essence. It's basically I've, that, but they added booze to it. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I've called yeah. uh, La Croix the fart of fruit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Essentially what it is, the flatulence of a peach, right? Like. Yeah. Um, so she was double fisting this white claw and she was dancing. She had like this weird, like fur coat thing on. And then she like bounced one on her head and it started like doing this, like, uh, you know, almost like she was in a cotillion, like walk thing. And it was, I had a, I had a moment of clarity, like every, everything in my universe kind of all aligned for one second. And I went, this is the whitest city I've ever been to. And I've been to Stockholm, Sweden. Like, Isn't it true that Denver and Boulder for a while was kind of the foodie centers? Because I remember for a period of time that a lot of like Southern California chefs and, and California chefs were making their way out to Denver to build like it was like it was like a hot ground for like yeah, new hipster food. Spot. Yeah, it was a hipster spot. But I don't know if it still is, but it was for a while. I remember Denver and Boulder both were like this is where young restaurateurs and young chefs were going to like well, experiment. You know, uh, they showed up there, but they obviously didn't settle because Denver is a bit of a food wasteland, in my opinion. I heard, really? um, good for food. I heard they had good pizza. It depends on where you go. I think you have to search it. You know, being from Southern California, you have to search out a little bit harder um, in Denver for some great stuff. I mean, mind you, I found some great places, but it was one of those things where you really had to go out of your way. And uh, one of the big experiences I literally had two days ago when I was uh, just before I was getting ready to go to this wedding was I went to a ramen place. It's the it's the highest rated ramen spot in Denver. It's called Uncle, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I walked in there and I was literally the only Asian guy there. (laughs) There's literally like, I'm sitting there. Everyone behind the counter is like, is, is, you know, a young, it's like a young, probably generation Z, you know, like a kid, like probably early twenties, maybe, you know, maybe younger than that. They all had like their hipster glasses. One of them had like a beanie that was half off of his head, you know, arm tattoos, and they were all cooking ramen and they were playing like Lil Uzi Vert on the thing. Oh, and I was the only Asian person in there. And I tried the ramen and I realized why. Did you get tokenized? Listen, I don't want to be that. I'm, I'm usually not that bad about it. I'm very open about food, right? I try not, I try not to be that person to insult food. In fairness, though. Right? In fairness, though. I'm particular about my ramen. Now, people say you can't go wrong with ramen. That's actually not true. Mm-hmm. So ramen, I like my ramen a certain way. I love Japanese ramen, right? Like there's there's a way ramen is is made. And I have to be careful because sometimes ramen has pork yeah. and other stuff, right? But it's a traditionally pork broth. Traditionally so, yeah. pork broth. But I, when I have the ramens I can eat, delicious, right? And you can tell that it's a person who knows how to make clearly a broth. Right. Like, yeah, they understand the flavors that go into making this broth. And I don't think anyone, not everyone quite grasps that. I think in white culture in particular, I say that as if white culture is one thing, but I should say in American culture and particularly American culture on the West Coast, I think ramen is predominantly just the fixation on the noodles. Mm-hmm. They see it almost like a soupy pasta, right? Like for yeah, them, yeah. it's the noodle, noodle, noodle. And it's like, yeah, you, the noodles should be great. It should be chewy and whatnot. But in reality, the flavor is is fundamentally broth-oriented. And I don't think everyone quite gets that. Well, it's and the so, same thing with pho. Yeah, it's like I don't – not all ramens are good. And so I don't I don't blame you in that regard. There are, there are ramens that are good and then yeah. there are ramens that are bland. Now, well, I have to tell you honestly, you know um, – I have, uh, you know, I, I used to work in a, a triple five star resort. All my friends are actually really, you know, most of my friends are very accomplished chefs. A couple of them actually moved out there to start their own restaurants. And, you know, they even agree like the the food scene out there is about 15 years behind okay. of uh, what a lot of people, you know, about what about some people in Southern California, L.A. and all that other stuff kind of talked about. Um, they do. Honestly, I will tell you, though, like if you guys are ever in Denver, mm-hmm. there's a place called uh, the Denver Biscuit Company. And it was probably the best. I don't know how they did it, but it was one of the best hot chickens I've ever had in my life. I don't know what they did with it. It was like a biscuit with hot chicken on there. They made their own pickles that were really good. And then they also made their own pizza that was excellent also, you know, just to give you that. Uh, that the only pizza I had out there was this one, Diz, and it was actually pretty stellar. Hmm. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, like that's, that's yeah, I, you Shout know, I, I, I don't know. Shout out to Denver, Colorado. With did you get one- high while you were there? You know, I was already high because the altitude sickness. I think that's the other reason is why people were moving out there. It's like the young chefs and whatnot. It's because it's like, okay, there's the legalization happening and it's the new yeah. scene. So, you know, it is what it is. I want to mention something yeah. too, um, real briefly, because before we dive into our actual topics that we've got planned, um, I was on Twitter earlier and I saw this guy. He tweeted out, bro, fuck this sleep recorder app. So he downloaded this app called, I think, prime sleep recorder or some shit like that and the purpose of it is is you leave it on and it records your snoring so whenever there's a noise in the room during the night it picks up the noise um Mm. and some people are like oh that's too creepy it'll pick up all the stuff i don't want to hear like creaks and cracks and the house settling but it's mostly done for snoring right so like so you can see if how bad of a snore you were whatnot so this guy put his recorder app on, but the only noise it picked up for several hours was him farting. (laughs) And so he wrote, bro, fuck this sleep recorder app. And then he put on like a clip of it and it's just him farting. It ended up getting 53,000 retweets and 200,000 likes. And it just goes to show you that as sophisticated as we get, as advanced Uh as we get, nothing beats a good fart joke. There's something about humanity that's like we our humor, as much as like we like to think of ourselves as sophisticated and intelligent, our humor is still the humor of like a three year old. Nothing we find nothing funnier than flatulence because fifty three thousand retweets and <laughs> people are writing. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I laughed until I shed tears. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> someone turn this into a Phil Collins drums now. <laughs> and then, of course, somebody did because the internet can't be beat, right? Of course, someone yeah. actually added his fart noise into Phil Collins in the air tonight, official. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what the internet was meant for, you know. Like, and someone else wrote, "I laughed so hard I farted." <laughs> so, just you know, this is like you just got to go check this out if you haven't seen it. It's a uh, Finn underscore uh, Caustic C O S T I C K. Absolutely hilarious. I don't understand why it went viral the way it did. Actually, I know exactly why it went viral because we're That's all fine. three years old, and I'm mm-hmm. not embarrassed to admit that when I heard it, I you know. First of all, I went, oh, that's an interesting app. I should download it. And then went, no, I refuse to let the government spy on me while I'm mm-hmm. sleeping. But two, I spent a solid 20 minutes just listening to it over and over again and chuckling to myself. Like, you know I'm what they should do with that man. You know what they should do with that recording is they got to send it into that ghost adventure show and see if they can suss out any, you know, uh, paranormal noises out of the recording. The beautiful thing about it is I think some people, particularly in the Halloween, were like, oh, this would be a great, you know, let's see if there's any ghosts around. The only thing it's picking up is people's flatulence. The only ghost there is is the ghost of meals gone. Listen, all right, you don't know. Like one of the, uh, uh, of that night of complete flatulence, you have no idea that, you know, it very well could be big old fat Ben Franklin's ghost, you know, enjoying a turkey leg and just get, letting one out in the, you know, in the ethereal realm. You a, have no idea. A deep reminder and, and and I think very poignant reminder that no matter how much we imagine ourselves as very dignified while we're awake, when we're asleep, it's just a, it's a, it's a disaster, right? Mm. We don't even realize how bad, how undignified life truly is right <laughs> i wonder I if i still this, talk in my sleep you should download the sleep app i think this would be a great experiment for curly nerdy download it put it on for a couple nights and then report to us next week see what we hear oh i mean i'll try it out like, what yeah, do I nothing incriminating though you know yeah like if, if you start revealing like your pin number or something like that or any yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. crimes you've committed we can edit that stuff out but if you do talk in your sleep we won't bring that in that's true that. I got you. See what see what it's like after the colonoscopy. But I think I think this conversation. Oh Jesus! I think uh, this conversation about apps really opens up uh, something that I've that's been kind of weighing on my mind a lot, and that is the role that tech really plays with uh, authoritarian governments and whatnot. So we've mentioned how the hell did you get there from that from farting on an app? Because for me, I'm downloading this app and I'm thinking in my head like. This is this is shit that the government will use against me someday. <laughs> yes, so, shit indeed. Yeah, seriously. So we've mentioned on this podcast before uh, the Hong Kong protests. We've talked about them briefly. We haven't gone too in depth, uh, but anyone who's a, a, you know not living under a rock knows that for several months now, starting around roughly June or so. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been a series of massive demonstrations in Hong Kong against the uh, authoritarian uh, connections with China with a variety of different purposes. I'll talk about its origins right now. But we most of us have kind of marveled at it, regardless of where your politics are, if you're pro-Hong Kong, or if you're one of those like young reactionary types that thinks like, you know, it's it's edgy to be pro Chinese authoritarianism, you know, President Xi, please conquer us, that type of shit. Whatever your politics are, at the end of the day, you can't help but marvel at the kind of ingenuity of these Hong Kong protesters. We talked about, for example, the way that they organize against tear gas. They, when tear gas canisters are thrown, they cover it up with a traffic cone and then dump water. That way, it contains both the smoke and they're able to douse it really quickly. Their use of umbrellas in order to conceal uh, their faces, using even digital apps that project uh, other faces onto masks as a way to circumvent the massive surveillance apparatus that China has developed, uh, locking arm to arm to block entire streets, shutting down airports. I mean, just the other day, I watched a video in which a police officer was trying to arrest a protester and another protester came out of nowhere and flying jump kicked him in the Mm, face. Yeah, it looked like some fucking yeah. Mortal Kombat Liu Kang shit. There's this, this level of like mass solidarity between people working in a way that you don't often see in protests in the United States. Most of the protests in the United States are usually about self-expression, right? Like you come up with mm-hmm. creative signs, you chant. There's not a lot of communal action. Even as you're working as a group, it is very much the individual venting. Whereas you see in Hong Kong a very clear understanding that 
shit, we're in this together and we're going to work in solidarity with one another in order to achieve our aim. So the origin of this is actually about extradition, this idea that the uh, that uh, countries that didn't have any formal uh, policy with Hong Kong, namely man, mainland China, could extradite people. This was the mm-hmm. kind of original. It was meant to be kind of a resistance against the draconian and coercive police tactics, right? It was about uh, pushing back against uh, police and legal repression. But what ends up, end up happening is that the protests were met with escalating police mm. violence. The police cracked down. And China, of course, having uh, a hand in this the entire time, influencing it even at one point, threatening to mobilize its military, even doing so without invading Hong Kong, but definitely making it clear, like, we can do this, um, resulted in the the protest escalating further and further. And now we're several months down from June now into August, and they're continuing. What originally started as an attempt to kind of suspend this bill of extradition has now expanded into multiple very clear uh, stated policies that are kind of pro-democracy, complete withdrawal of the extradition bill, uh, retraction of the riot characterization that is calling these protests a riot as a way of dismissing them and then therefore delegitimizing them, releasing and exonerating all the protesters that have been arrested so far, uh, the resignation of Carrie Lam, uh, which is uh, the chief executive on the on the Legislative Council, the establishment of an independent commission of inquiry into the police conduct. So so there's, it's, it's a pretty robust set of, of plans. Now, they have been dismissed as sometimes too pro-West, as uh, being perhaps uh, some, you have some people who have accused them of being CIA stooges. And certainly there's there may be some connections with State Department officials who might be supporting these rights. This is not uncommon for the United States to co- to kind of intervene in these instances, yeah, yeah, yeah. making things worse, right? We see this in <laughs> Afghanistan everywhere, right? But, but I think that's also a simplistic way of dismissing and delegitimizing what are what is fundamentally grassroots the cia doesn't you know convince everybody to protest it might influence mm-hmm. some people it might try to co-opt and definitely exploit the tensions that exist there but the dismissal of of the protesters and their legitimate concerns is kind of a it's a major folly but we also see some kind of weird stuff there are some people who are flying the old uh, hong kong colonial flag hark, hark you know hankering for the days of bygone and whatnot. But on the whole, a kind of phenomenal uh, experience. I mean, the only thing that I can think of that really kind of comes close to this would be maybe the Occupy movement for a period of time, the global Occupy movement, maybe not the US one. But Mm a long-lasting, real protest aimed at some type of sustainable change. But now it's being caught up in a series of major controversies that involve the United States and the West. Not just a Hong Kong thing, but deeply associated with things like American companies. Yeah. So like the NBA is one that's caught up with it. So um, for the past few years, the NBA has built like a partnership with China. So they've been um, building stadiums. They've um, been like getting more access, like getting more access to NBA games in China. And like they've invested a lot of money in it because China produces about 10% of the NBA's revenue yearly. Right. That's as of now. There's projections that say by 2030 that the NBA um, that China will produce wow. about 30% of the NBA's annual revenue. So, like during preseason games, like they'll actually go out and like play games in China. Um, like last year, there was you know there's a video game that the NBA has. It's a NBA 2K19. They have the 2K series. So in NBA 2K19, you actually played for a Chinese basketball team before getting into the NBA. So, um, like, they have a huge partnership with China. And um, the last week, there was a few uh, NBA teams, one of which was the Lakers, that were in China to play some preseason games there, you know, to, like, get more Chinese fans. And um, the uh, general manager of the uh, Houston Rockets actually spoke out. So he tweeted, um, you know, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Mm. He then deleted his tweet, but it caused, like, a whole like firestorm where like uh, China like started like blacking out NBA games and like they were like really pissed off about the whole situation and like you know like, so the NBA had Daryl uh, Daryl Morey like delete his tweet and like apologize for tweeting it and shit because it you know became a firestorm for the league um, and then you know so like they've been asking like 
NBA players about it. So they asked uh, James Harden, who's on the Houston Rockets, about it. And yeah, you know, the Houston Rockets, like media agency, like Mm -hmm. basically cut the question off. Like, no, we're not talking about that. Right, right. Basically cut it off and like Harden stayed silent on it. And then uh, I think it was like yesterday, LeBron came back from China and um, LeBron James is known for like his activism, right? Yeah. that's that's something like he's big in like you know he's built a school in Akron like he speaks out against things like he famously called Donald Trump a bum you know like so they asked him about it and um he said uh you know yes we all do have freedom of speech but at the times there are ramifications for the negatives that can happen when you're not thinking about yourselves or when you're only thinking about yourself and not thinking about others he's like I don't want to go into a word or sentence feud with Daryl uh, but I believe he wasn't, he wasn't educated, educated on the situation at hand when he spoke. Now he, mm. so he clarified, right? He clarified on Twitter because that's what he said. Like you know, when like he was being pressed about it by like the media, like they're asking him questions. He clarified on Twitter saying that like he doesn't, he didn't mean like the context of the tweet, like mm-hmm. per se. Like so, he wasn't saying that like Daryl Morey isn't like you know like qualified to speak about it or you know educated enough to speak about what's going on in Hong Kong. Um, but like what the situation was there for the players Mm -hmm. and to an extent, I, like, I think what LeBron said was absolutely stupid and ignorant. Like you shouldn't have said that. Right. Especially coming from a player like LeBron who speaks out on social issues. Mm -hmm. But I do understand like his thinking of like what the ramifications could be because there were NBA teams in China at the time. Right. Yeah. And like, I think he was thinking about like, what could have happened to him while he was there? But also, yeah, like, I know. It, it, it is a, I mean, let's be real. Maybe he's thinking in terms of, of, oh, let's worry about our consequences. But he went above and beyond that. He didn't just say, oh, you know, you should be careful what you say. He talked about how he's so well received in China and he loves the fans there. There was a component mm-hmm. of, of very clearly pandering. I mean, at least when I re- read the statement or saw or heard it, I was like, that's pandering. Same thing with uh, Steve Kerr, right? Steve Kerr's comments, he's also known for being pretty woke and not afraid to share his opinion mm-hmm. about racism and whatnot. And he had a very tepid response in regards to this. So it is quite interesting to see these people who are so-called thought leaders, right, or activists, yeah. have such a such a kind of weak-willed, spineless response in when, when you know, yeah, there's seriously. risk. There's skin in the game, okay. right? So, so, so here, so here's the thing, right? Because like last week, I had a a, a friend of mine who like reached out to me because he's a Republican. He's like, why aren't Steve Kerr and like Greg Popovich and like LeBron talking, like speaking out about like China? They were so quick to speak out about like Donald Trump, and they're quick to speak about Black Lives Matter and blah 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 blah. But they're not like quick to they're they're not like saying anything about China. And then Donald Trump even said the same thing about Steve Kerr, right? Like yeah. he said like look at him, he looks like a scared little boy when he's asking questions about about China. Um to which Steve Kerr responded with like, you know, like what I found is that it makes sense to stick to topics that or sorry, he says, what I found is it's easy to speak on issues that I'm passionate about and feel like I'm well versed on. Yeah. What I found is it makes sense to to stick to topics that fall in that category. I keep my comments to those. It's not difficult. I'm trying to learn more. Yeah, so this here's the thing. I sympathize with that. I'm a big believer mm-hmm. of like if you don't have an informed opinion, don't share it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't come yeah. from the mindset that all opinions are equal. I don't. You know, I, this is mm-hmm. the this something this is something that we've convinced ourselves, but I don't believe that. I don't believe all opinions are equal. You're entitled mm-hmm. to your opinion, mm-hmm. sure, but I'm entitled to tell you you're a dumbass. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I do believe that you should have an, an you should make an informed opinion when you say something. But you should make take an effort to educate yourself. And if you're not educated, don't share your opinion. In fact, I think we would be in such a greater place if more people did that. Right. If more people were yeah. like, I don't know enough about this topic to have a comment. I don't know about enough about this topic to say something informed. Or that would be great because not everyone needs to have an opinion. Good Lord, I don't need to hear what the latest D-list celebrity thinks about American politics, right? Like, I I just don't. But on the same note, when you have something of such global magnitude and Mm -hmm. you're not informing yourself, that also tells you something. That also yeah. tells you that you that to you it's not important enough to become informed. So great, you're informed about things that happen in America because you're American, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But you're you so completely out of the loop that you're not paying attention to what's going on to I don't know the largest population in the world, 
right? Like yeah. th- there's a problem there. The other component of this, and this is this is where I, I find myself kind of going, oh, I'm not so sure about this. You could say that about Steve Kerr. You couldn't say that about LeBron. Yeah, they absolutely LeBron were. James' no, comments think- were pandering. And yeah, in many ways, I- this, is, this is a prime example of the way in which celebrities often can kind of, you know, Give cover for authoritarian regimes or war criminals or horrible situations by saying really stupid shit like, like, oh, well, at least they 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 like me or at least there are fans like what? Yeah, but I think the earnest shouldn't like the earnest should be on the league, right? Because it's it's the owners of the like of these teams are billionaires who are trying to make more money by expanding into the market. The earnest should be on them to not go out and play in China, right? The players do have some moral responsibility. Like, if they know about it and they know that there's atrocities going on out there, speak out against it. Don't go out to it. Like, the WWE goes to Saudi Arabia twice a year, right? There is like five or six superstars or wrestlers um, in the WWE who don't go to Saudi Arabia. So, like, Daniel Bryan, John Cena, these guys, they refuse to go to Saudi Arabia because they don't agree with the position there, even though they know that they're losing, like, hundreds of thousands to maybe millions of dollars by not performing in those Saudi shows, but they don't go because of what their stance is on the Saudi government. Right. So the players do have like some leap, some say into it, but the earnest should be on the league and the owners to not go out there. And I think blaming like the players or blaming the coaches for not speaking up is kind of a cop-out because the people that are doing it are guys like Jason Whitlock and Donald Trump. Jason Whitlock's the same guy who got fucking heat because he said that uh, LeBron James doesn't understand racism because he's rich. And like, if you're rich and black, you don't, you don't face racism. There are, the companies absolutely have a responsibility. The NBA as a whole needs to rethink its policy. It needs to take a stand. But the idea that, that the, it should be, the onus should be on the companies, but yeah, not on yeah. the players. That is itself a cop-out. Because the no, face no. of the NBA is not the owners, it's the players. They're the I, ones I that are giving that. interviews. And if they're being asked, then they should say something. And again, if they don't, they're not informed, I'm not saying that every player needs to come out and say something. And I'm certainly not saying that every player needs to mm-hmm. be an activist, right? They should be, in my mm-hmm. humble opinion. But, none, yeah. you know, that's, that's we live in the real world. But the thing is, if you set yourself up as an activist, if you set yourself up as a person who's going to share their opinions, then you should, A, have informed opinions about it. That means you should take it, make an effort to be aware of the things that you're going to have a conversation mm-hmm. about. And then, two, have the moral courage to be consistent in your calling out. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's with celebrities yeah. more specifically, right? I mean, we're seeing this with uh, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy with Dancing with the Stars from uh, Queer Eye. Yeah, well, there's there's uh, uh was John it Kamaru Spicer? or whatever isn't that? No, no, um, Karamo, Karamo, right? I mean, he was, you know, he was uh, he kind of had his weird little canned response to performing with Sean or you know with being on the show with Sean Spicer, and you know, like we're we're seeing this also with kind of that uh, it's kind of that weird like non-answer where they kind of go on. Well, I don't, you know, this whole time, you know, my lifestyle and you know the things that I stand for are completely opposed to what this person stood for also but you know in the name of of i guess you know of uh reaching across the uh the line here or you know or of, of being civil i'm going to listen to them as if somehow you know that erases the opinions or all the bullshit that kind of happened before that right and i literally you know we we just saw this i just saw this no, on twitter no. and uh you know it's like i'm not a huge ellen degeneres fan myself she seems like a nice lady but if i saw her on the street i would throw my shoe at her okay I would, and I and I would throw it with the righteous Whoa. indignation, okay. you know, of of that of of that hero who threw his shoe at G. W. Bush ten plus years ago, right? <laughs> because she got caught. You know, she was. Uh, what was it? Is it an NBA game that she was at? Okay, it was it? So okay, it was at a Cowboys game. Okay, so game. she's seen sitting she next game. to a George W. Bush, right? And uh, you know, she's laughing with. It's the same as that whole Michelle Obama candy thing or whatever else right it's like you know she caught a lot of heat for that you know uh she caught a lot of heat for for doing that shit and you know her response yeah. to it was almost more sickening than the actual action itself in my opinion you know it's and it's like just because yeah. you know all of a sudden he can't figure out a fucking raincoat anymore all that we have to we have to forget that you know he's he should right. be charged war crimes right they like the kind of bullshit that he put us in as a country yeah well yeah. i mean 
Yeah, I mean, the fascinating thing is like her being in a football game with him. Yeah, icky, but that wasn't that big a deal. It was the response. This, well, he's my friend and I believe we should be, uh, you know, talking with the people we agree with and whatnot. That's great. There's plenty of people I'm friends with that I disagree with. Yeah, yeah. None of them are war criminals. Yeah. You know, none of them have have led to the death of a million Iraqis, tens of thousands of Afghans, thousands of American soldiers. None of them fundamentally disagree with basic ethical principles. George W. Bush doesn't want gay people to get married. And this goes to show you that at the end of the day, there is a class solidarity among celebrities. It's pretty interesting, too, that the people that really celebrated Ellen the Generous were all who? Big media types, big journalist types, and, of course, her fellow celebrities. That's right. You go, Ellen. And why? Because at the end of the day, nothing trumps class solidarity. These are all wealthy millionaires that go, at the end of the day... Any of those policy decisions that George W. makes, any of the other things they make, that doesn't impact me. Okay, maybe I, maybe I can't well, get married because I'm, you know, gay, or or maybe I can't, you know, experience. Mm-hmm. But hey, I'm not an Iraqi, I'm not Afghan. Yeah, she she did get called out by uh by yeah, one Mark celebrity. Ruffalo. Mark one Ruffalo our... did a really good yeah. job calling her. I was like, we we can't even talk about civility until we talk about accountability. And I agree with him. I think he's he's a hundred percent right in that regard. But we're seeing this a lot. Is that there's a problem? This is what happens when you take when you have hero culture, right? Intimately mm-hmm. interwoven into celebrity culture, this kind of cult worship in which mm. everyone is a yes queen and everyone is a you know conqueror and everyone's a oh woke king. Everyone is that. You're eventually going to get disappointed because your leaders should be grassroots people, people like yourselves. You should be the leader, not celebrities. If a celebrity wants to lend their voice to a movement, if they want to use their cultural capital and their fame to support a cause, more power to them. But they should never, ever be the face of any form of activism. Because at the end of the day, they have a vested interest in not changing the structures. Those structures that we all suffer under, they have benefited from. And unless they're open... Yeah, they're they're successful from that. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying I don't come from this right wing position that you're like, oh, look what China's doing. It's, you know, that's proof that America's the greatest in the world. Well, at least we're not like China or look at these hypocrite players. They only talk about America and they don't talk about China. I don't come from that perspective. I view authoritarianism, whether it's American or Chinese, as 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 horrific. And you can call them both out with nuanced understanding of going, you know, mass shootings in America Mm. or horrific and unique to America, the police brutality in America, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could note these kind of nuanced differences without falling into this trap. But at the same time, you have to wonder the LeBron James of the world, the Alan Generouses of the world, like the Ed DeGeneruses of the world, are they really your allies? Are they really the people that are going to say, as woke as people claim to be, as woke as companies claim to be, the McDonald's of the world, we are a progressive company, right? As push comes to shove, they have a financial invested interest yeah. in not oh, man, yeah. Out. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 crazy to think about, right? Because you know, on on a small scale, the individual, you know, really does play into kind of how these politics uh, ultimately and are are received, you know. But what happens when it's not the individual, but it's like a multi billion dollar company, uh, you know, things, you know, the people who control technology, mm, you know, yeah. the. The, the systems that we that we live in and the things that we're a part of every single day, you know, like, I mean, you can imagine that that's got to be even more dangerous or, you know, could potentially be even more dangerous. Right. I mean, you know, you look at what's going on with uh, with Blizzard Entertainment right now or Bl- Activision Blizzard now um, and, you know, and their response to what's going on with the Hong Kong protest also is uh, is, well, it, uh, you know, I for lack of a better term, I think it's fucked up. Right. And uh, for, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's like, you know, the people of Hong Kong. It all kind of sparked from, you know, these uh, these Chinese extradition laws, you know, that that would ultimately make, uh, you know, people who are basically hiding from the Chinese government in Hong Kong, uh, they would be, you know, their identities would be revealed and they'd be forced to go back to China, you know, and uh, it, that is obviously very dangerous. And there's a lot of horrible things that can happen as as uh, as a result of that, you know, but um, in, a, in a larger scale. You know, these protests are also about, you know, the Hong Kong's autonomy over, you know, over its ability to rule itself or its ability to be able to, uh, you know, to basically run their own lives, 
you know um so this is some pretty big stuff uh now how blizzard kind of gets into this whole thing for those of you who don't know who activision blizzard is right they're they're behind some of the most popular pc games that we know today overwatch world of warcraft diablo starcraft etc cetera, etc cetera, right and they're also kind of pioneering you know some of the biggest esports uh that we've seen or you know some of the biggest esports tournaments that we've seen these past several years um now what makes this important now is that you know they have a game called hearthstone which is very similar to like magic the gathering other card like table uh deck building card games and uh you know they have a, a tournament uh there is a a player by the name of blitzchung who was pretty much basically won a uh, grandmasters tournament match right which is a big deal um you know it's kind of considered one of the best of the best and it's a blizzard sponsored tournament you know there was an official interview that was being streamed and he made some you know he, he basically made a statement while wearing you know it's like the goggles and the gas mask that a lot of the protesters wear and talk and you know and he basically said a, a slogan that they use which is a liberate hong kong revolution of our time uh now you know, as a result of that, right, Blizzard uh, basically went fucking ape shit, and they revoked his winnings from 2019, which was about $10,000. They suspended him for a year from being able to play in any tournament, and then they literally fired the two guys who were conducting the interview for allowing it to happen. And as a result of that, there was a huge backlash from mm-hmm. gamers, from politicians, from people who aren't even involved within the industry, you know, um, and yeah. this be- basically everything just went to shit this past couple of weeks. Yeah, this was a big misstep on Blizzard's part. Now, Blizzard has always been trying in many ways to kind of brand itself as as not necessarily progressive, but very much in 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 tune with diversity, right? Their 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 statue outside of their their headquarters, yeah, the orc. It's about yeah, all, all voices matter, right? Very very the orc. So there's a very clear understanding, and part of this is is a clever business strategy. One is the recognition that WoW for a period of time was yeah. really sustained thanks to China, the Chinese audience. Uh, was what helped WoW, also some parts of Europe, it, particularly when their numbers helped yeah, the movie, hand, right? definitely helped the movie, right? But this is Hollywood more broadly, right? Hollywood nowadays recognizes that China is a major audience, and so it tries to cater to it. And Blizzard recognizes this audience. I mean, the whole oh, Mists of Pandaria is a very oh my twisted God, was, oh. orientalist approach to try to like to try to appeal to its audience like oh look oh. we have an asian continent <laughs> in in world of warcraft so this is a very clear understanding that you know the yeah. blizzard understands who their audience is that knows where its financial interests are and china from a, from just subscriptions alone is its audience but then there's other components uh to uh, blizzard's finances and as a result of all of that it makes blizzard far more aware of who it can offend and who it can't offend mm-hmm. if your audience is the china that's one thing but then if you have investments from china while simultaneously dealing with it, your own economic things that's a whole other matter. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, just a side note, okay? Um, when I went to that ramen place in Denver that I mentioned before, I felt like I was playing Miss the Pandaria again. Honestly, like, that's really what it felt like to me. And you just you just brought it back. I'm having PTSD, uh, Pandaria traumatic stress disorder right now because of you, Ali. You really fucked me up. You know that? Mists of Pandaria, it's what I do best. Yeah. But there's also, Blizzard itself has been struggling with a variety of different kind of economic decisions, right, V? Absolutely. Well, so now this is interesting because when I was doing research for this episode, you know, there's a lot of articles that are talking about this, right? And I kind of came across one from Vice uh, that I found interesting because they were asking, rather than talking about what's going on in Hong Kong per se, they were actually asking people anonymously who worked for the company, um, you know, how they were feeling about this because there was uh, protests, Right. And there was, you know, there was a couple, it was a kind of a small walkout, but there was a small walkout and an organization around that orc statue in front of their campus, you know, in solid air with Hong Kong and their decisions, uh, you know, to to basically punish Blitzchung. And um, what's crazy about this is that, you know, a lot of people are really insecure about about their jobs. And, you know, I have a lot of customers who work for Blizzard, you know, and while they don't officially talk about the Activision takeover. Right. There's always kind of a wink and a nod to being like Activision took over and a lot of stuff went to shit uh, in 2019. Right. This was early in the earlier this year. Right. They laid off eight percent 
of of their employees, which is totaling about 800 people, right? This, but because of that, they also reported a 2.4 billion dollar profit for that for for the previous year, right? So you know, a lot of people are very they don't they don't understand because they essentially it's like they said that they made money and they still laid people off. People are very you know, and people are kind of worried because you know those jobs are very hard to come by. And uh, as a result of that, you know, there's employees who absolutely uh, who absolutely stand with these Hong Kong protests, but they can't talk about it because of the struggle of them losing their jobs and having to answer. And they talk about how it's a lose lose because like on one side, right, it's like they can't do anything because they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. On the other side, they're catching shit from the public. Because they're not being outspoken about what their right. about what their opinions are, right? And what's even worse is there was a long time where everyone who was the kind of the head the, the heads of Blizzard completely ghosted anyone who asked about it. So there was like a couple of days, you know, where they're all on eggshells and they don't know what the hell is happening with the people who are running the damn company. Yeah, see, that's that like kind of reminds me of um, what happened with Colin Kaepernick like a few years back, right? Like he spoke out against something that he believed in and essentially got fucking blacklisted from the NFL because of it. He won a fucking huge settlement from the NFL, which kind of like proves the point that he was being blacklisted by like NFL owners and NFL teams. It's like you use your voice to stand like to speak up and and stand out or or speak up and stand up for something. Right. Um, But like they 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 hold that against you like because for some reason like you as an individual somehow represent like the whole like company or you represent your team or you represent the league which is which is kind of annoying right like it kind of means that like your opinions can't be your own opinions they have to fall in line with like the company you work for or with like you know like so the company you work for or what team you play for it's just it's really annoying that like you you're not given this ability to actually speak out which really pisses me off cuz that blitzchung guy had every right to use his platform to speak mm. out about like hong kong protests employees of activision or activision blizzard have every right to give their opinion on something but we're quick to like fire them for for speaking out against an injustice. It just doesn't make yeah. any damn sense. Yeah, I mean, this me. is the, the problem that we're dealing with right now is that you have this conversation about free speech, right? That almost always couches it in terms of towing the line of some type of liberal orthodoxy. If you have an opinion that doesn't fit within mainstream liberal progressive values, then you're silenced. This is a conservative victim mentality. When in the reality, what we're actually seeing is that corporations actually only come down on people when it's a threat to their financial interests. At the end of the day, it's not about progressive values or conservative values. It's about capitalism. It's about money. If Colin Kaepernick, you know, in the case of Colin Kaepernick, it's very clear racial overtones as well, right? But in the case of a lot of these people, the reason that there's this pushback about Blitz Chung and others is is not because, you know, uh, there's like, oh, they're, they're, they're liberal or they're conservative, mm. but because they're threatening the bottom dollar. Don't risk our audience. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you that this isn't just corporations being overly sensitive. They Certainly they are being sensitive, but China is using its economic power here. It does threaten uh-huh. things economically. It does th- it threaten the NBA. It threatens Blizzard. It uses its cultural and economic capital that it has built as an imperial tool mm. of keeping people in line. Mm. Now I think that, this. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So now, actually, the, you know, this kind of reminds us something. And Ali, you can elaborate on this later. But you know, you were telling me. You know, I think this almost reminds me of that story about Texas and textbooks, right? Where it's all yeah. they have to they have to curtail the textbooks to what the Texas market wants because. They're the people that buy most of the textbooks, right? So I don't imagine this any this is too much different from what's going on in China, but there's a lot more dangerous implications as a result because violence is actually happening. Right. Um now with Blizzard actually responded, right? Eventually they did. Um J. Allen Brack, who is the president of Activision Blizzard, basically um what they did was they essentially doubled down on on what they did without actually ever offering an apology. Um so you know, according to them, it's like Blitzchung technically played the game fairly, right? Uh, so they basically gave him back his money and they reduced his sentence to six months. But mm-hmm. they also justified 
punishing him by saying part of playing the game or uh, fairly is pre and post match conduct. Right. Um, so basically it's all like he brought up stuff. He brought up stuff that, that deviated from the game and that's why we punished him. Uh, and there's actually a quote from like, there is a consequence for taking the conversation away from the purpose of the event and disrupting or derailing the broadcast. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the big, the, the big response got him his money back. But the fact that he even got that he even got punished in the first place, I think, is the issue. Right. And, uh, you know, and they really didn't say that they were wrong. They just kind of went, well, this is what we're doing, but we're going to go ahead and give him his money back because you guys complained about it. Yeah. They they doubled down. Yeah. They made they they kind of they did this little like, oh, we're going to give some of his money. We're going to give his money back. We're going to shorten his sentence. At the end of the day, they didn't actually change. Like, no, we were right. This is our policy. You're not allowed to use this platform. They, they doubled down on their stance. And this is something that we're, we're seeing very clearly is that these corporations, they don't care. I mean, yeah, the, the firestorm that they face is sometimes a pain and it can hurt their bottom dollar. But they're far more worried about, uh, about damaging relationships with a major investor. Yeah, they're worried about hurting their chances in that particular market, and as a result of that, they're un- they're very comfortable taking what is fundamentally illiberal stances, fascistic corporatist stances that say we will determine what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. You toe the line, or you face our wrath. This is something that should worry all of us. This is something that should bother all of us. If the capitalist mentality of what fundamentally matters is the bottom dollar, your investment, your market, if that becomes the normative Mm -hmm. measure by which we determine policy, then guess who's screwed? Everybody else, right? This is the problem of democracy that we're facing right now. What we're seeing in the Blizzard issue, what we're seeing in the NBA issue is something that is a problem throughout the U.S. democracy in that money has turned into free speech. Yeah, through Citizens United and through the various rulings and legislations that have allowed a shit ton of corporate money and dark money to flow into into uh, presidential campaigns and into American politics, that money has money equals free speech. Money equals the power or the or the sort of legitimizing power of the people. If sovereignty and democracy is meant to rest with the people, then corporations have usurped it by saying, hey, who are you going to listen to? The person that doesn't donate to your campaign or me that's donating thousands of dollars to your campaign? Yeah. In that, a democracy cannot thrive. It is impossible to thrive. It means that politicians will always vote in their economic best interest. They're more worried about pissing off their donors than they are their constituents. And we see this with corporations. Corporations are more worried about pissing off China than they are their players, their subscribers. Now, fortunately, there is a bit of a backlash and a boycott blizzard movement. Sometimes there's enough of a populist fervor to push back on it. But on the whole, what we are seeing is tech work hand in hand in illiberal and undemocratic ways. Wow. Yeah, my brother's still playing Blizzard. He just, he's he started playing WoW again. So it's it's not reaching everybody yet. The boycott uh, Blizzard. Yeah, and I mean, and to be fair, like, honestly, like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make that much. It didn't really make that much of it to the end of the day. Like, I mean, we talked about. You know, Blizzard stock went down, but it literally shot back up a couple days later. Like, it's not like it made a huge difference, right? And I mean, you know, they the Chinese tech company Tencent actually owns like five percent in Activision Blizzard. They're the guys that own Riot Games, and you know, they've even said that we have to refrain from talking about politics in our, uh, you know, and in, in the upcoming uh, League of Legends tournament, right? Uh, you know, so there's, you know, the the financial stake. It's not like it's hidden. It's there. We know it, and we've seen it. Um, you know, and on an even more kind of, and this is even more dangerous than I think what Blizzard was doing. You know, Apple um, deleted an uh, 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 an anonymously created app called HK Map Live, right? And the idea is that almost like the same way that Waze crowdsources traffic information, yeah. uh, this app was supposed to crowdsource, you know, pockets of activity in Hong Kong. Yeah. So think of it like this. So like if you were needed to organize a protest, you can get everyone together quickly. They could look at HK Map Live yeah. and go to that area, right? If they needed to know where there's a concentration of police, yeah. right, you could send that information out so, you know, you can avoid right. them. Uh, ultimately, you know, this, this was al- almost the same way that, you know, in Egypt – 
during the Arab Spring, right? Facebook was used as kind of yeah. a tool for yeah. people to gather, right? This is basically a, a stream, a, a much more advanced version that people know their phone. Now, Apple, essentially what they did was they said, you know, or Tim Cook more specifically kind of, he went, you know, we're moving this app because it's, it's because of its harmful nature, because it's, you know, it's, it, it goes against kind of the terms of service yeah, about, about apps on a store. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, cause he's all like, you know, this is, this is harming, you know, law enforcement, this is harming people, this and that uh, only to, to realize that because the app is no longer live, people are out there. And, and violence is actually intensified yeah. because now they're actually clashing with police yeah, officers. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, like, the argument that somehow this is anti-police or this is somehow undermining police, then why on earth do we have Waze? So yeah. Waze is also crowdsourced, right? Unlike Google Maps, then it tells you mm -hmm. there's a cop here. Hey, slow down. There's a traffic What's thing. Unlike so it's a, it works in the exact same way. But Waze isn't seen as a bad thing because it doesn't piss off the Chinese market, right? So here's the thing. This is yeah. the thing that, that, that really – I'm like this is the thing that fires me up is the idea that these social media at its core is meant to be a radically democratic tool. And in fact, at its origin, it really is. We've talked about this over and over again, right? The role of YouTube. You are the content creator, not big tech, not Hollywood, but you. From TikTok to Vine to, to Instagram, right? You're no longer uh, – the model and the photographer is not some person living in New York, but any average Joe or Dick or Susie or whatever, right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. Anybody has access to this. But the problem is that these corporations, I think, recognize these sort of the sort of organizing power of these democratic tools. We saw it in the case of the Arab Spring. And they quickly worked hand in hand with governments in order to address the threat that true true direct democracy could represent. In the case of big tech, most obviously you see Amazon literally developing face recognition technology for who? For ICE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That these big it's techs are actually developing the surveillance technology that exists in China. From voice recognition to collection of major, major data about people's searching habits, people's internet usage. The Chinese have perfected it and big tech are now borrowing that. We didn't, um, didn't a bunch of... Sorry to cut you off, but didn't a bunch of Microsoft employees in like Washington stage a uh, walkout this is the problem. because so of that? We see, for example, during the case of the Kashmir occupation by India, India has occupied Kashmir, a kind of territory that has always been contested mm -hmm. with Pakistan. And what does Microsoft do? Bill Gates hosts Narendra Modi and gives him this massive Gates uh, award as a sort of great humanitarian. Why? Because at the end of the day, he knows one fundamental truth. Microsoft's market is where? India, right? India, India is where it's mm. being developed. India is where it's being used. You can't put big, the new Silicon Valley of the world is India. You can't piss off India. So who cares if a couple Kashmiris get screwed over? Or what about TikTok? We always talk about TikTok as a sort of benign app. Oh yeah, it's a brain cancer, right? But at the end of the day, it's a it's a benign old kids are just having fun on there. But TikTok censors any mention of the Uyghur Chinese. TikTok censors any For mention real? of the Hong Kong protest. Go to go to TikTok. They get erased. They get completely removed. Why? Because TikTok is run by a Chinese, a major Chinese co company that works hand in hand with the Chinese government. So these are another way yeah. in which these oh, big sure. techs often work quite subtly. Now, the, the reason there's such a backlash with Blizzard is because it was badly done. It was too obvious. Mm -hmm. And here's the fact. Every fucking company does it. From the NBA to Blizzard to Microsoft, all of these companies to Twitter, all of them are meeting with these, these authoritarian forces and working hand in hand with them. Some of them are just better at it yeah. than others. TikTok, no one's talking about boycotting no, TikTok, even though the TikTok is undermining the cause of the Uyghurs and Hong Kong just as equally as Blizzard is. Yeah, well, Elizabeth Warren called out fucking Zuckerberg right, yeah. recently for doing the same shit. He uh he was meeting up with like conservative um like policymakers, journalists, um, commentators, and at least like one lawmaker um to discuss like issues of like free speech and like partnership and stuff. And it's like 
he tweeted out like, you know, well, I meet up with a lot of people. That doesn't really mean anything, blah, 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 blah. But they were off the record. Like, yeah, well, it, it wasn't just that he people. met so with like, these people. He invited them to dinner to his house. He met with specific conservative influencers. And the conversation was about how they could ensure to protect the free speech of individuals who are fundamentally uh, participating in hate speech and in misinformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Elizabeth Warren called him out. She fucking made a fake ad on Facebook about how Donald Trump or how Mark Zuckerberg uh, endorsed Donald Trump just to see if it would go past like their their uh, fake news looking thing. And it, it went through it like she literally like made an ad that said uh, breaking news. Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook just endorsed Donald Trump for reelection. And like it it was an ad that was posted on Facebook that she intentionally knew was fake right. just to try to prove a point. And like now people think that like Elizabeth Warren has like some issue with like Facebook or she's trying to come after yeah. like Mark Zuckerberg and he's trying to make it seem like yeah. she's on this attack. Look, against man, him, but... the, the, here, here's, this is where we'll end it. Right. We're facing a crisis of free speech, but the crisis of free speech isn't on college campuses. The crisis of free speech isn't no. PC culture. The crisis of free speech isn't cancel culture. The crisis of free speech are massive capitalist corporations that are allowing their financial interests to guide their policy and resulting in the crackdown of any talk that threatens their financial markets, which often means talk against authoritarian governments. We are entering in a world where you can't criticize China. We're entering a world where you can't criticize people that are carrying out outright human rights violations. We would recognize that if Mm -hmm. someone were to crack down that type of free speech in the United States, if someone were to stop us from calling out Donald Trump, we would recognize that as a clear violation of the very democratic principles that this country has been founded upon, but also the things that we cherish fundamentally. Regardless of where you stand on on America, as you know, many of us are very critical of American foreign policy and American domestic policy and American capitalism, but we would rightly be indignant. We'd be angry, outraged if a corporation or the government cracked down and said, you're not allowed to talk about Donald Trump's uh, sexual harassment. You're not allowed to bring up the children in cages down in the border. That violates our terms and agreements. Imagine if that happened. Imagine if one of our of, of a corporation, what, if right, right now, the, the Apple said, you can't put out your podcast because you're talking about Donald Trump in the border. We would be outraged. But corporations are doing uh-huh. that right now. They're doing it when it comes to China, and they're doing it when it comes to other authoritarian regimes. It's not just the case of, of, of Israel. China. We saw this with the with fucking um, uh, Twitter, right? We saw a very clear example of Jack Dorsey basically whitewashing the crimes in Myanmar, the crimes of the Rohingya. He went out mm-hmm. there and he met with 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 the officials in Myanmar, and he did this whole oh, I did this ret- spiritual retreat. And said, "Great dude, people are people are being killed in ethnic cleansing while you're in a fucking ashram." You know, like this is what we're facing yeah. right now: is massively wealthy and powerful people who have vested interests in not changing, not only not changing the structure, but ensuring that the structure remains authoritarian and oppressive, and they'll work so- uh, alongside one another. Twitter and Facebook may be enemies, but guess what? They'll work hand in hand to make sure that they keep their vet- their vested financial interest. That's the real free speech crisis. Will we wake up to it? I have no yep. idea. Anyways, we're going to end it here. I think this is a really robust and interesting conversation. Uh, we dived really deep. Uh, hopefully, gave us gave uh, our own nerdy angle on the Hong Kong protests, the NBA, Blizzard, and big tech. Uh, if you found this podcast interesting, you can get in uh, touch with us, and Dizzle let you know how you can do that. Yes, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash currently nerdy, Twitter at currently nerdy, Instagram current, uh, at currently nerdy, Tumblr, currently nerdy.tumblr.com, YouTube, youtube.com slash currently nerdy. We're on Stitcher, Google Play, and the iTunes podcast app. So make sure you're subscribed. Give us a five star rating and a review. Um, if you're already subscribed, make your friends subscribe because, like I say every week now, you're not a true friend unless you've exposed your friends to Currently Nerdy. If you want to get a hold of us individually, you can. V, how can I get a hold you of you? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at VTran214. That's V-Y-T-R-A-N-214 on my website, thesandwichslayer.com. You can catch me on our sister podcast, Head on History, on my social media, A-A-O-L-O-M-I, both on Twitter and Instagram. I just released a couple, uh, a new thread, and I've got another one in the works. They've been quite popular, exploring the sort of esoteric side of Islamic mythology and cosmology. Um, And you can find me on my website, alialomi.com. Diz. 
You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dizbola, D-I-Z-B-U-L-L-A-H. Um, also on Currently Nerdy Sports, which we're still waiting for iTunes to pick up our RSS feed. You've been talking about but China. Since, That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but since they haven't picked up our RSS feed, I'm going to be a SoundCloud rapper right now and shout out our SoundCloud. So soundcloud.com slash Currently Nerdy. You have uh, the first few episodes of Currently Nerdy Sports on there to to listen to on your uh, drives home and get you your fantasy football updates. For everyone here at Currently Nerdy, thank you for tuning in. And remember, stay smart, sexy nerds. All hail the Currently Nerdy. Yeah,